Welcome to the Plan Vision Podcast, where we share simple, straightforward investment and planning ideas for normal people. The description in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not construe this as personal tax, financial, or legal advice for your situation. The Financial Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. And if this is working, you should see Mark Zorl with me on the screen. And so maybe those in the chat can give me a thumbs up if everything is working well. Uh, today, uh, as I mentioned uh, in previous live shows, we're talking to Mark about uh, expats, folks. Well, I guess we'll hear from Mark, but folks, you know, U.S. citizens that have moved abroad or plan to move abroad um, and related issues. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thanks to be here. Um, why don't you why don't we just start by telling folks who the heck you are sure. and what you do? Yes, I run Plan Vision. I'm an advisor and I have been in the industry I don't know, 27, 28 years, but I set up Plan Vision about 10 years ago. I just wanted to work in a different capacity as far as providing guidance and advice to people. And so I run Plan Vision and our focus is on helping people set up simple investment portfolios, uh, The this whole boglehead couch potato philosophy. Um, and so that's what we do. We do it for a small flat fee and um, we help people set up these plans. And we also help people with planning for their future financial planning, retirement planning, college planning um, for those that want that kind of uh, guidance as well. So that's what we do very quickly. Uh, as it happens, starting at about 2015, uh, I began working with expats or Americans abroad. And since that time, that has expanded into also working with non-Americans abroad. So we have a very large client base of people all over the world, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a very delightful uh, way to interact with people of all different nationalities and different locations around the world. And we can do it using technology like you and I are using now, where we can engage like this. And, and also the financial services industry is now set up as well uh, for people all around the world to, to start investing. So that is very briefly uh, what we do. And um, so do you also work with, I guess, foreign nationals that move here? Yeah. Yeah, we have um, we have these um, folks, whether they are here on a green card or in some other uh, capacity, we do work with um, non-Americans living here in the U.S. Okay. Well, so uh, what I did was I, I reached out to the community that, that watched this channel. I asked them for questions and they have just they pummeled us with questions. So yes. this the live show, it shouldn't take us more than nine, 10, maybe 11 hours. Okay. We'll be able to get through them all. Um, <laughs> No, it's, it's, there's some great questions. And for those watching live, um, uh, and I see the thumbs up from Steve. Thank you. So that means they can hear us and see us, Mark. That's that's okay. good. Uh, and uh, so we'll take some questions from the chat if we have time. Um, although I, I suspect a lot of these questions, I mean, they're going to probably cover about everything. Uh, so uh, let me start with the first one. It's just sort of a broad, really a broad question that will really open it up to you. And it was this. What are the top three things a person can do to prepare their finances and, inv and investments in advance of moving to another country? Yeah, so I, I, su I suppose a very important one, and this would be one that people are likely going to do anyway, 
But, and this would be a message I, you know, we share with our domestic clients as, as well. And I'll provide a, just a little bit of uh, background on that is <clears throat> to the extent that you can have some understanding of what your expenses are going to be. I don't think down to the dollar that you'll spend each month, but have a good sense of, of how you're going to spend money. Now, for a firm that does as many plans as we do, we're a very high volume shop, do a lot of plans. You might be surprised at how many people we work with who are getting close to retirement and don't really know how much they spend. And it's not a crime to not know that, but it certainly improves the quality of your plan if you have a, a good sense of how much you're going to spend. Now, for some people, they have enough. It, it kind of doesn't matter. But uh, for many folks, it's certainly wise to have that. So for expats that are thinking about where they're going to go and how they want to spend their time and this vision of what their life will be like, getting their expenses down would be a very important step. And with with how many of us communicate now with social media in these groups and forums, you can connect with like-minded people that are, are or have already done this kind of lifestyle, and they can share a lot of their expenses. So that's a, a very important step. So that would be one. Now, the second one I'm going to mention is something that we don't really get involved directly with our clients on. But I certainly hear as we talk with our clients about <coughs> excuse me, how they go about doing things. And that is understanding how you'll handle your banking. Like, where are you going to bank from? And I was thinking about our session today, and I remember, like, in the 80s, like, ads for traveler's checks. You had to have traveler's checks to, like, if you're going to go, like, I don't know that anybody still use travel. I assume that they're just a thing of the past. I, my wife and I use traveler's checks just to go a few states over, <laughs> alone, <laughs> you know, to Hong Kong or something. Anyways, so having a good idea of what bank you'll use and how your money will flow for you. A lot of people just use credit cards and they're accepted around the world in many different places for their, for just to pay their, their ongoing expenses. Um, many of the banks will certainly support Americans abroad. They work just fine for the most part. And again, this isn't, I have no personal experience with this as far as I, I'm here in the States and don't travel abroad. Um, but our clients inform us that by and large, the bigger banks work typically just fine. Uh, Citibank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you can kind of go down the list. They can, you can establish a bank and you can transfer funds back and forth. A service that many of our clients will use, which doesn't accept all currencies, but accepts many for currency conversion is WISE. Hmm. used to be called TransferWISE. And there are several different currency exchange methods online as well that you can check out. So, okay. Understanding your banking would be a big part of this. And then an area that we will get more directly involved in is how you're going to handle your investments. Well, like, what are you going to do with that when you go abroad? This can be tricky with um, Americans. And uh, this is just kind of what I learned um, by doing this. Um, the, the Basically, most of... Uh, the U.S. financial services firms, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, <coughs> other brokerage houses, E-Trade, um, TD, mutual fund companies, aren't really interested in having clients with overseas addresses 
open up accounts. So if you want to retire or at least spend a lot of time in Japan or Turkey or Thailand, wherever you want to go, and you call Vanguard and say, hey, you know, I'm living over here. I need to update my address. They're going to say, okay, well, wait a second, time out. You know, we don't support accounts that are overseas. Is, is, there, is there a regulatory reason why, or is it just? Well, yes, there is, a, uh, I think, a law going back to 2010 or 11 or 12. FATCA was the law that was passed. I believe that's it. Um, <clears throat> I believe that that's why I might be wrong about that. But there was a <coughs> there was a law that was passed that um, essentially made it more difficult for these firms to administer overseas accounts. So really what they said is, look, we're just not going to do this. Ah, okay. Um, I mean, they could do it if they wanted to. And Interactive Brokers does. So where oh. I was going on this is the firm that you can use while you're abroad, if you want to use an overseas address, and keep in mind, I'm talking about situations where you want to use an overseas address. Again, you're going to make Thailand your base or you're going to make the Philippines or whatever. If you want to do that, uh, IB, Interactive Brokers, will generally support that. Now, Interactive Brokers is, it's not a bank. You know, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's the world's largest discount broker, but man, they work with uh, basically every country for the most part. Hmm. And I, I, I got a kick out of going and looking at their list of countries that they actually accept people in like Pitcairn Island. Like if you happen to live in Pitcairn Island, uh, one of the 70 people, they'll, they'll open an account for you. Um, so they work with folks for the most part around the world. Now I'm going to explain where you're going to find, have problems if you're an American abroad. Some countries they don't, North Korea, Iraq, Sudan. There's a few kind of a list of countries, Myanmar, where there might be political instability and, and relations with the U.S. are challenged. <coughs> Um, so you can use interactive brokers as an American abroad if you want to use an address, except in one of those countries I referred to shortlist in Europe. Europe's a problem. And that those are all of Europe is a problem? Basically, yes, for the most part. Okay. Uh, and that includes countries that I, I'm not a <laughs> I don't know the 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 um, uh, how Europe defines itself these days. But even countries that we think of, people our age, now mid-50s, of thinking of the old Eastern Bloc countries are now, for, for IB purposes, are considered to be part of Europe. And so, yeah, if you live in one of those countries and you want to open up an IB account, you, you can do it. You can open up an IB account. You just can't trade ETFs on it. You can't buy ETFs on it. And that's the problem. I well, what, can you, what can you buy if you can't buy ETFs? Just you can buy non-U.S. based stocks. Oh, non-U.S. based. So, for okay. example, if an American wants to, um, an American's living in um, in um, Germany wants to set up a portfolio in U.S. dollars on the London Stock Exchange, they can do that because the London Stock Exchange does support U.S. dollars. So they could buy individual stocks if they wanted to. But they couldn't uh, They couldn't buy VTI, a Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF. Correct. The reason why that's the case 
is that the EU, now this goes way back to like 2008 and 2009, <clears throat> the EU passed advanced disclosure requirements for investments throughout the EU so that consumers were better informed and all that. Well, it took forever for these things to get in, put in place. And they got put in place, I think, around 2018, 2019. And what this meant to Europe, I'm sorry, to Americans, Canadians, or Aussies, for example, Aussies living in Europe that want to buy Australian-based ETFs, all of those investments have to provide the EU with the EU-compliant disclosure requirements. And so Vanguard, iShares, State Street, they're, they're saying, wait a second, we're not, we don't, we're not going to produce your documents. That's your thing. Our clients, people in Europe are coming to America and buying our products. We're not going to produce your documents for you, these requirements that you're making for us. So really what that did is that forced the brokers like IB and um, Schwab out of the UK <coughs> um, to say, look, if, if you guys aren't going to provide those documents, we can't let consumers buy those products anymore. So, so, so that's the kind of where you're, where Americans in Europe and some other nationalities are stuck as well as can't buy. They can have an account, but just can't buy ETFs. Okay. So let me, let me just make sure I understand all of this. If I wanted to live in Thailand, I could open up an IB account and I could invest in VTI. Correct. But if I move to Germany, I can't. <laughs> Correct. Can, you, know, you, you mentioned ETFs. Can I invest in mutual, you know, can I invest in VTSAX, the mutual fund version of a total U.S. stock market? Not if you're using interactive brokers and you're abroad. Okay. Because IB will not let you buy mutual funds as an expert. Okay. All right. So if I live in Germany and I want to invest in the three fund portfolio, right? I want a total U.S. stock. I don't care if it's an ETF or mutual fund. I want a, I want a total U.S. stock fund, a total international and a total U.S. bond fund. And I live in Germany. Is that even possible? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> You're getting me riled up here because everyone yeah. should be able to buy a three fund portfolio. I don't care where you live. That just should be some sort of universal right. <laughs> um, there are advisory firms that you can work through. I know one is creative planning. I think they're out of the mid part of the country. Um, and they've worked out a deal, I think with either IB or Schwab, where you can buy through them. Uh, I was getting an advisory fee, right? Yes. That's the problem. You gotta, you gotta go through the advisor. Right? And there's another advisor, I think in Alabama that can do this. And uh, also, I went through this whole process with IB, which was maddening from my perspective, because I got approval here in the States to do it. He said, Mark, you're, you know, you're fine. We'll get you approved where you, where you can basically be the master account for clients in Europe and they can open up an account. But Europe, I did, we just got stonewalled and so it didn't go anywhere. So uh, for Americans in Europe or for, frankly, Americans anywhere else in the world, they can invest in a three fund portfolio, they can do what they want. They just have to use a U.S. address. And if they don't have a U.S. address, then- Nah, then they're, they're in more trouble, yeah. And when I say use a U.S. address, it's up to them. Their brother, their friend, their parents, whomever it happens to be. Now, a lot of Americans that go abroad, we work with these people. They go abroad and they just don't update their accounts. You know, they just um, don't call Fidelity and say, 
you know, I'm living in Latvia now. They just keep using their accounts as if they're here in the States. So um, that's something that they can do. Um, you know, the problem that, that they will have is um, in opening these accounts, if you're still working, is they're going to ask you where you work. Well, I work at, you know, this company in, you know, in Berlin. Well, that's going to immediately shut down the application. So, yeah, <coughs> sorry, you have to be prepared to say that you are unemployed or you're self-employed or you're retired or something to get past that question. Well, are there, let's just use Berlin as an example in Germany. Uh, and let's just assume a German citizen for the moment. So they, they want to invest in ETS. They open up a brokerage firm, yes. whatever firms are in Germany. I assume these firms offer ETFs that oh, invest yeah. in total yeah. U.S. stock market index. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what I, was gonna say, what I was going to say is another way that you can invest as American, well, if you happen to be married or with um, a non-American, that's an easy solution for the most part. If you're okay with having your assets just associated with one person, you can open up the account in their name. And yes, these these countries, Canada, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, they all have domestic markets. Some are more mature than others, but they offer ETFs that they can trade and buy. I take it though, I, I, again, just, I'm just really flaunting my ignorance about all of this sort of thing, but if I... If I'm a U.S. citizen but living in Germany, can I open up an account at a German brokerage and invest? Or will they say, no, no, you have to be a German citizen to do that? You can do this. One thing I haven't mentioned on why it's difficult or likely should be avoided by Americans investing in non-U.S. based products is um, tax compliance. Ah. So when you're an American, we incentivize Americans, regardless of, you know, whether you live here or not. Well, here, let me back up. Rob, you know, when you're an American abroad, if you're an American, if you're, you have to file a U.S. tax form unless you give up your citizenship. So you have to file your 1040. And so on your 1040, if you have non-U.S. based ET, uh, investments, certain kinds of non-U.S. based investments, um, that will complicate your taxes significantly. So there's a an IRS, uh, I guess a tax term called a Passive Foreign Investment Contract or a PFIC. That's like what we call these things. A PFIC is an ETF or I think a mutual fund that trades on a non-US market like the Toronto Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange. If you own one of those, that will, it's very expensive from a tax perspective and it will complicate your taxes. So the easy solution, I guess, would be, why doesn't that American just buy, you know, one of these ETFs that, I mean, Vanguard offers ETFs all around the world that trade on uh, the German exchanges, the Dutch exchanges, the, the Italian exchange. Why doesn't that American just do that? And that's the reason is because it will drastically complicate their U.S. taxes. I they can do it, uh, but, it, you know, it, 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 it's something they likely are going to want to avoid. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, I had another thought that just escaped my mind for a moment. Oh, by the way, well, um, yeah. Americans can still buy individual securities, like, in, like, you know, stocks. Those are not considered to be PFICs. 
So if you want to build a portfolio of individual stocks, you can do it, but that's not what most people yeah. want to do. It, it does, do, do robo advisors, Betterment, Wealthfront, do they provide any help here? Can they do what? I don't think so. Um, no. no, they don't want to deal with this either. Um, every once in a while, I'll get a client say, I opened up a Robinhood account and I did this. Um, I, I think that those were situations where they used a U.S. address and they just didn't recall that they did that. But I don't think the robos are interested in this either. So if you if you, if you have a U.S. address you can use, you're fine. Oh, yeah. Yes. If you, don't have, if you don't have a U.S. address you can use, then it depends where you're living abroad. You may be fine. Yes. You, you, you may. So um, you, if you're living in Germany and you don't have a U.S. address, you've, you've either got to just bite the bullet and, and complicate your taxes significantly. I guess, I mean, I guess that would, you know, or like you said, some people move abroad um, and, and, but they had accounts here and they just effectively don't tell the broker that they've moved. Yeah. yeah. Is that, uh, yeah. now I know you're not a lawyer and, and you're not a tax no. professional either. So we've talked about that before the show started. And this isn't specific advice for anyone. This is just general information, but is that legal? I, or have you ever encountered a client where there were some legal issues that surfaced because they didn't update their address with fidelity or whatever. No, I haven't. Yeah. Is it legal? I'm sorry. Is it illegal? Um, most of the people that I deal with don't have $50 million and are not really their account size. Like nobody's noticing their account size for the most part. So there's that. Um, I might say it's not, I don't know if it's compliant, but I wouldn't characterize as illegal. You're right though, Rob. I'm just a dude that has become very familiar with how the international investing world opportunities exist. I, I don't know of any precedent for any sort of a case where, um, you know, there were fines that were assessed to anybody that didn't update their address. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's any more different than if I, <laughs> I actually just did this. I moved from Minnesota to North Carolina and I, I still haven't updated my bank stuff yet. So, um, you know, yeah. So I, okay. but what I tell folks is that if you're doing this, you're in this big crime family with tens of thousands of other <laughs> class Americans that are all around the world. Okay. Well, by the way, the good news is I think this has already been hugely informative. The bad news is that was question one. <laughs> uh, but so, I, and I'm kind of jumping around. And actually, you've you've given such good information. We've covered in some respects a lot of the questions. But uh, let's imagine someone moves again wherever Germany, uh, and they keep their U.S. accounts. So I'm just thinking how they spend their money, yes. right? So they, they sell, I guess, you know, some of their ETFs that get sold in U.S. You know, they get U.S. dollars uh, in their whatever Fidelity account. I, um, you mentioned that a lot of folks just use credit cards and I guess these might be us based credit cards and then they can just pay them yeah. from their fidelity account. Yeah. Um, but there, there would be currency issues, right? You're, you're right. So is there, do you, do you talk with your clients? Uh, are there ways that, that people have tried to manage the, the currency risk? Um, <laughs> yeah. A common question. My answer to that, well, to answer your question, yes, there's there's people that always want to manage currency risk, right? But I would tell people I would try to not do that. 
to me, trying to manage currency risk is comparable to trying to manage market performance or when is the right time to get in and out of the markets. So let's go through an, uh, let's go through an example of what, and you might have people listening to this that are like really doing this. You have people that travel around, <clears throat> excuse me, and they might spend, my gosh, in one year, they might spend time in 12 different countries or 15 different countries, maybe six. And they're using these various different currencies, right? Like, and, and, the, and the value of those currencies will fluctuate compared to the value of the US dollar. And so what I would tell them is try not to figure out when is the, because this, if, if you want to manage currency risk, the idea is you just get more value from the currency you're going to use at, at some point in time compared to what it might be in the future. So that if you're, if you're going to go to Germany or uh, if you're going to go to Europe and you're going to spend the summer there and it's now the win and it's the winter, you think, Oh, how am I going to like, what if the Euro gets weak to the U S dollar gets strong? I always say that wrong. What if the Euro gets strong and I get less euros with my U S dollars? Should I do something about that now to, to, to manage that risk? And I would say, no, don't try to predict what's going to happen to the currency. What I would do is when you need the money, I would convert it and spend it. Mm -hmm. And over, over a length, typically, over a lengthy period of time, you're likely going to have some days where you're going to get more currency uh, exchange and some days where you're going to get less. So yeah. the notion of trying to manage the risk is not something we would normally advocate. Very, almost identical to the notion of trying to successfully time the markets. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense to me because in your example in the winter, I suppose you could buy euros. Yes, you could. Ahead of time, but you don't know if that's yes. going to work out in your favor or not. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I suppose if you're going to a country that was experiencing hyperinflation, I don't know. Even then, I, what would you do? I, I don't yes. know. How you, yeah. yeah. If, you th right. if you think about it for a moment, Rob, it's, it's really like all these Americans and Canadians that go down to Mexico. They've got a risk with the peso. Is the peso yeah. going to get more, going to get less? Well, they just deal with it. You know, yeah. I wouldn't advocate, you know, doing any currency trading, which IB Interactive Brokers is fabulous for currency conversion. Uh, they, you basically get the spread rate in 24 different currencies and they charge you $2 per transaction. So if you happen to have an interactive broker's account, it can work really well for that. I will, I will warn people, I have been told by IB, they don't want people sending in money, converting it and sending it back out. They like have a 45 day hold on that. If that's all you're going to do, I don't really know how they enforce that. Like if you if you if you send in a hundred thousand dollars, converted it to euros, and send it back out, you just save yourself a lot of money on currency conversion. Well, what if I buy an ETF for five minutes? Is have I washed it through the? Anyways, I'm just pointing that out for those that are sensitive to. Sounds like an episode of Breaking Bad, or I don't know, yeah. or maybe Ozarks. Maybe that's yeah. the washing the money. I guess it's more of an Ozarks uh, plot. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, if you're using, I guess you can't use, you probably can't use credit cards literally 100% of the time. You're going to need a currency, yeah. I assume, yeah. at some point. So do most of your clients open up uh, banks at, at banks that are specific to their country? I know you mentioned the big banks like Citibank, and I guess they're pretty much everywhere. So if you well, live in Germany, could you just have a Citibank account and that would be all you'd use? A lot of ignorance here on my side on the mechanics of how people do it. And I would be more concerned about, you know, what are you doing in Uzbekistan for like okay. cash, you know, and that kind of a thing. 
But I think in many of the first, second, and even the third world countries, you're going to have a location or a branch or something of the the really big banks where if okay. you needed cash, you could probably do it. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess I would point out that um, in all my years of doing this, I suppose about six or seven years now, I've run into client comments about having some hassles with their banks, but it's not a real big issue for the most part. It just doesn't come up that much. That's okay. at least been that's at least been what my clients will tell me. All right. Question number two. Um, are some countries easier than others for expats when it comes to investing? Now, we've talked about it from that perspective and brokers and all of that. I'd like to expand that question. Just in your experience, have you seen that just some countries are easier to retire in? And I don't mean first world versus, you know, yeah. third world, but just, you know, are, are there more countries that, and, and not just from an investing perspective, but from a lifestyle and cost perspective, like what are the what are the top countries that your clients seem to gravitate uh, towards? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so we have a we have a big client base of expats, <coughs> and what the, these are these people? A lot of them are teachers. These are these people. They move around in their professional career, and they might spend five to seven years in one part of the world. They go to another school. And what these these folks are really smart about, um, first of all, just understanding um, um, how to use money and invest, but also about cost and places to live. So I've learned a lot from interacting with those people. Um, Southeast Asia is a very desirable place to live from a cost perspective. Thailand always pops up, man, the dollar goes a long way. And so for some people that are expats that have not accumulated enough money that are okay with the notion of, of living in that part of the world, um, that will be kind of where they can gravitate a little bit. And you can go down the list of some of the other countries as well. Malaysia, Indonesia, I think are very affordable places as well. Um, I did a podcast, which I kind of enjoyed doing, about the countries on the in the western part of the world that were the most affordable for for living. And this was just based upon all these plans I've done. I, and it wasn't I didn't go do some sort of a statistical analysis. It was just anecdotal. Uh, but it's funny, man, talking to the Italians. If they they're like they think twenty five hundred thousand euros a year, man, that's a great lifestyle. I don't know what the deal is, but it just doesn't cost that much to live there. Portugal is actually fairly inexpensive. Spain can be inexpensive. And these are very comfortable, you know, from a climate perspective, very comfortable yeah. places to live. Now, I don't know what it's like to really, and I've been to Italy and had a, a, just a delightful time. I don't know what it's like to really live there. If there are trade-offs that you have to make when it comes to commerce and, um, you know, like we're used to, you know, I order a little bag of toothpicks and it shows up on my door next day. I don't know how that kind of stuff works. And, and if Americans are going to be okay, yeah. depending upon what that, what their expectations are. Another area too, which is um, desirable as I talk with my clients is Central America. I don't know where the cutoff really begins from Central to Southern America, but some of those countries down there, again, very reliable, good climate, very affordable uh, living. Uh, I think in many of these countries, 
many people feel confident about the care they're going to get. Mm. And I think that that might scare a lot of Americans. I know that that would be a concern of mine. You know, what kind of care am I going to get? Um, but there seem to be um, many people just very, you know, a lot of our expats don't have any issues with that. So well, the regions that I would suggest are, yeah. are I think, affordable and, and desirable. Well, since you mentioned healthcare, are there, if you move abroad, how does that affect social security, if at all, and Medicare? You're still eligible for those. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not good on Medicare um, as far as if you, like, how does that work? Do you, you know, send a bill or something to Medicare? Well, yeah, and I guess do doctors abroad take Medicare? It doesn't yeah. seem like that would. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Generally speaking, Medicare is, uh, or um, medicine abroad is clearly less expensive. A lot of people just budget five to six, seven grand a year just for out-of-pocket costs. And, and they believe that that could be affordable. But Social Security is no problem. You know, you're, um, <coughs> I'm sorry, Rob. I should point out, I think it would be good for me to explain how retirees live off their money when they're going abroad and the tax considerations. Um, and then I'll maybe integrate healthcare in, into that. Um, you know, one of the things I learned quickly is that when you are abroad and you're working, as an American, there's a thing called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, the FEIE. And what that is, is you know, you still have to file a U.S. tax form, but let's say you go to a, another country um, and you're earning 70,000 U.S. dollars a year. What you can do is you can claim on your taxes that that's foreign earned income and you don't have to pay that in the U.S. OK, you pay it in the country you live in. And so if you go to the UAE or Saudi Arabia, or one of these countries where there's no taxes, that's a huge savings for people. Right? They're not paying taxes. And you have to, am I correct that you have to be out of the U.S. for like 50 weeks a year or 48 or some? I don't much know the timing. Year. I thought it was, I thought it was, um, would you say 50 weeks? I thought it was almost the whole year, but I, I could um, be wrong. I just, from travel hackers yeah. that I've talked to who, who travel pretty much nonstop. Well, but those folks are probably not, they probably don't have earned income. They might just be living off their investments. Now, maybe some of them may, might be doing some online stuff, maybe now that I think about well, it. Well, some just work remotely, but. Yeah, yeah, they work remotely. Yeah. So, uh, no, I thought it was half year. Okay. But that would be good for a tax person to provide more precision yeah. on. Um, but anyway, so I thought to myself, oh, gosh, what a great deal. The foreign earned income exclusion. I can retire and I won't have to pay taxes on my 401k, my IRA if I just go live. Well, then I quickly realized, well, that's not the way it works. It's earned income. So when you're so when you're an American and you retire, and let's say you're getting your social security, you might get a small pension, you might be drawing 10, 15,000 out of your IRA, you're still gonna pay all of that tax to the US. And you'll typically get a credit back to the country that you live in. For so, so you're not paying taxes there. Um, there still could be a, a pretty big benefit though, because if you're sort of working some amount in retirement, in another country, like if you, if you if you did that work here, that extra taxable income could increase the amount of your social oh, yeah. security that's subject to tax, right? And it kind of other implications. But if if you're working overseas and you don't pay that tax on the earned income, it could still have a, a, a big benefit beyond just the obvious. Yes. Now, for some people that are living in these low income tax countries, it's a massive savings. Hmm. It really is. It makes a big difference. We have clients. <clears throat> if you can imagine, many of these teachers, they come out of college 
and they got, I don't know, $75,000, worth of debt, they can hardly make it right here in the States. So some of them will go to the eastern part of the world, go to China, other or that general area, and their cash flow is really strong. Their school might pay for their housing, so they can wipe out their debt in a few years and actually begin to accrue cash. Hmm. And taxes are very modest there. So, you know, it's it's potentially a large savings in taxes if you are going to work, depending upon where you're going to work. Now, Europe different, Canada different, you know, you're going to pay taxes, you know, maybe even more there than here. So, um, okay. Go ahead. Well, I guess what I was going to say about the healthcare part of this, um, and I may even have forgot the broader point, is that when we do plans for clients, we always want to, we, we always recommend that we itemize healthcare as a separate cost. And let's just say for the standard American 58-year-old that's going to retire, we might use eighteen to 20000 a year as an insurance premium plus out-of-pocket. Maybe we could vary that. Um, for the post-Medicare retiree, we might use six to 12000 a year, depending upon what their Medicare supplement is. But man, for <laughs> some of our expat clients, three grand a year, four grand a year. So, um, and again, I don't, I don't do the research. I just have learned from interacting with our clients. Uh, what their experience has been with the healthcare costs. It is just amazing how much more expensive healthcare is here. Um, it can be. Yeah. You know what? It, I, I have to say, though, that um, um, just on this thought here about saving money and living in another part of the world, because that's many people have, a, have a, an adventurous attitude about their life. And they want to go explore other parts of the world. And I don't mean visit for three weeks and come back to your family. They want to go live for three, four years. And I don't think I don't I don't think I would have the courage to do that. Yeah. Um, so I admire that. Um, but but a part of that is for many people, the cost savings. Yeah. They're just not going to spend that much money. Now, that being said, we do enough plans here with people in the States where there are many Americans that live here in the States. They're just frugal people. And they don't, they can live on $25,000, dollars $35,000 a year. So there are, we're talking in terms that are somewhat of generalizations. Um, so you can live a reasonably comfortable retirement lifestyle here in the States at a fairly low cost. But for going overseas for a broader swath of people is a great way to reduce expenses and healthcare yeah. is a part of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Um, I think we may have answered this question. This one's specific to Japan and, you know, where to open up a, a brokerage account. I, I guess for that, it'd be, it'd be interactive brokers would be top of the list. Yes. IB would be at the top and the bottom. I think it's pretty much the only, if you're an American, okay, I, it's that's the option. Really all you, I gotta be careful oh. about this. I only know what I know, but yeah. we, we do have some pretty, you know, we've done a lot of, uh, I guess, research on this. I, I do want to make a few other points about IB though. Interactive brokers, the way they operate is they are international, but they have, in some countries, they have their own entity, like Interactive Brokers Japan, IB Australia, Hong Kong, Canada, Singapore, IB in Europe, they have three different offices. So you have to go through that country. In those countries, our clients' accounts cannot be linked to Plan Vision, but we can still work with them. IB Japan is funky. I don't think you can have joint accounts in, in IB Japan. Um, in, in Japan, they always open up two accounts by default, uh, an international account and a domestic account. 
Um, IB Japan always takes longer seemingly to open up an account. Um, you know, Japan, I think, is somewhat notorious for um, they can be slow moving in the financial services industry. So those are just some features of, of, of Japan. Um, but if you are in Japan and you have yen and you want to convert it to dollars, IB is fabulous. Works That's great. good to know. Okay. Um, for retirement accounts, when you move overseas, 401ks, IRAs, are, is, there any, is there anything to know or they just basically function the same way as if you lived here? Pretty much, other than just get, how are you going to get the money? So yeah. you should still be able to log into your account, do transactions, do a withdrawal, send your money to your U.S. bank or your Wells Fargo or Citibank. And then now, now it's in dollars, you're living wherever you live. you got to either you know, use your card and then pay off your card with the money in your bank or, um, or, you know, wire the money or send the money to where you're, where you're living. And that's using a service like wise or another kind of um, currency exchange. But yeah, it's Rob, it's really not that much different than just an American in the sense that um, you're just going to spend your money based upon your budget. And then you got just maybe another hoop or two to get through just to actually get the money. But it's, it's really kind of simple in that way. All right, good. Um, next question. Uh, and by the way, I appreciate your time. I know you're just recovering. You know, you're getting over, uh, you know, a, a cold-like situation, I guess. Or well, um, so COVID. So. COVID. Oh, I've heard of that. Well, yeah, uh, right. I'm glad What's you're that? doing better. Yeah. Well, the good better. news right. for us is that I was the only one in the house that got it. So, oh, good. and I think I had more than a mild case, but um, oh, I'm, no. doing, I'm doing fine. Other than the drip, I'm doing fine. Yeah. So. Um, so I know just from knowing you over the years, like me, you're very much sort of low cost index fund investor. In fact, I think you really embrace, if I recall, like the life strategy approach or the yeah. one fund approach, right? Um, I'm pretty much a hardcore boglehead. Like I'm a, I'm a yeah, yeah, I'm hardcore. So hardcore boglehead. Are you going to the conference this year? No, but Jason, our one of our employees, is. So okay, is. I'll, I'll be there. That'll be fun. Um, so if, if someone came to you and said, uh, you know, I'm going to retire in 20 years and I'm going to retire overseas. And I've, I've, I'm, I've got your basic boglehead, low cost index fund asset allocation. Given that I want to retire overseas, should I make any changes to the way I'm investing? No, you really shouldn't. Um, the, the conversation as we get into it. We would talk about some things like. Are you going to be somebody that thinks you want to have a property overseas or are you just going to be fine moving around? So we would want to integrate that just as that, that would be kind of a standard conversation we might have with an American as well. Are you going to sell your house and move somewhere else? That kind of thing. So that would be something we'd talk about. Um, now, <clears throat> another factor as a, a planner is I would say, okay, well, where are you going to, do you have a sense of where you want to go? And they might, they might have a good idea where they want to go. And I might say, well, you know, based upon how your plan is set up right now, you could actually back off on savings. I mean, if you're really gonna, if you're gonna move from Chicago or LA or New York or like some relatively high cost of living place to a much lower cost of living place, you might be pretty far ahead of the game. But when yeah. it comes to the investments themselves, no, there wouldn't be any sort of a change. With a couple of qualifiers, I guess, now that I think about it, <clears throat> Roth IRAs, in certain countries lose their luster. You know, we, these are wonderful savings programs and um, 
many Americans take advantage of them. But if you go to some countries, they tax the growth in the Roth. They do not recognize the tax-free component. And uh, I, I, I'll say these, I could be wrong. I think Spain and Portugal might be two countries. I think Germany might do that. Uh, it's not a lot, but I, there are some countries here and there that, that will tax those. So you could have a, um, I could have a uh, kind of a uh, preliminary conversation about where they're saving money based upon where they think they're going to go. And just to finish the thought, I have told people, even if you go to a country where they tax the Roth, that would really be just like you had it in a brokerage account anyway. So it's not like you, you know, it's not like it, it becomes a miserable account at that point. You lose that really awesome benefit that you had, but if they're going to tax it like it was in a, in a brokerage account, that's not the end of the world. Now, uh, that's the first I've ever heard of that. Do they tax it only when you pull it out or do they tax all the earnings every year? Only when you pull it out. I guess so, because the, the brokers don't actually report earnings on a Roth. Well, okay, let me just, okay, I said only when they pull it out, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, and, well, um, sure. And now in Ireland, it's like they got the most aggressive tax scheme in the world. Every seven or eight years, I think it's seven years, they have what's called deemed disposition, which means you owe your capital gains at seven years, whether or not you sell anything or not. So there is a country that, that does that. The Dutch, the Dutch have a wealth tax of I think it's one percent above a certain level. They just tax it. Oh, it's one percent. Now, I'm being kind of glib here. You'd want to verify with a Dutch tax person really what you're going to owe if you live in Holland. And Holland has a lot of social services, so there's the trade-off, right? But yeah, there's some more you know funky tax rules that you know we're kind of like maybe flirting with some of those, but. And, and you're typically going to find those in Western, what we would think of as being Western countries. Well, that's good to know. All right. <laughs> yeah. Question on currency risk. We've answered that. Some of the best, better banks and brokers. We've answered that. Uh, is, are there any tax implications? Well, or maybe better, what are they? Again, understand you're not a tax professional, but if you live, say, <clears throat> and this, this question happened to be someone living in Japan, if they inherit money, while they're living abroad, and and it exceeds the exclusion amount, which would be a pretty significant inheritance yeah. based under current tax law. Yeah, so that would likely be many people. If they're talking about a massive inheritance, I certainly couldn't. Com well, I'd be reluctant to comment on both sides, but certainly yeah. I don't know what's going on in Japan regarding the taxes yeah. okay. there. So that would be beyond my scope to have any sort of understanding on. Okay. An important point I would make, though, about how you think about living abroad in your taxes, if you're an American, is for the most part, the American tax system dominates, for the most part. Okay. It's still gonna be your primary tax system that you gotta go through. Okay. And the US has tax treaties with many countries around the world. So you're likely not gonna get double taxed. You know, you usually get credits against your against your home country. And so many countries that they don't have tax trees with have very minimal, if any, taxes anyway. So, Yeah. You mentioned that some countries tax Roth IRAs. Do they tax HSAs? I don't know. I haven't come across that yet. Okay. Um, yeah. I just... Um, now, I guess my answer would be, 
like with that, never having looked it up. If they're going to tax Roth, I don't know why they wouldn't tax an HSA. Well, that's what I was Who knows? Maybe yeah. they have different policies if they think, well, it's a healthcare benefit, so we will tax yeah. it. So. so we've been talking sort of, of expats, U.S. citizens living abroad. If they give up their U.S. citizenship, have you had clients that do that? And does that does that trigger any additional issues that folks need to think about? You know, um, I've never had a client do that. I had one that okay. told me it was going to do it, but he backed off. Um, yeah, it. Uh, if you um, if you become a non-U.S. citizen and you have all your investments here in the states, I wouldn't recommend that you invest here in the states as a non-U.S. citizen. And well, the reason why is that, why is that um, well, let's just go over an example. Let's just say you are, you know, you're South African and you live in um, Malaysia and, you know, and you want to have an investment portfolio. And many investors, many international investors, they gravitate toward the U.S. That's where they want to invest. It's it's the most widely traded currency. It's the biggest market. That's where they think they should invest. Here's what happens to non-Americans, and this would happen to these Americans that give up their citizenship, is if you invest in the U.S. markets, like if you buy mutual funds or ETFs or stocks, we tax the dividends that are paid on that at 30%. So if you get if you own Microsoft and it kicks out a dividend, your broker is just supposed to withhold that and send it to the U.S. government. And you don't have to file a tax form, but that's just what happens. Another important factor is um, we do have a significant estate tax. If you are a non-American and you invest in certain things here in the States and you die. Um, so if you have more than, I think, $60,000 invested, let's say you had a million dollars invested and you died, you're supposed to pay an estate tax on that. I think of it's like 35 or 40 percent above the $60,000, which would be quite egregious, right? I have no idea how we enforce that. Like, I think your state is supposed to file a, you know, the estate tax with the U.S. Well, what if I don't? Does that mean if my kid shows up at the airport, they're going to haul him away? Like, I, I just don't know how that gets enforced. But those would be two reasons to not to move your investments away from the U.S. Another important consideration, though, <clears throat> is that throughout the world now, there are options where people can go buy great low cost ETFs without coming to the US. Canadian exchange, Aussie exchange, the UK exchange supports three currencies. So you can invest in US dollars on the Canadian exchange and on the Swiss exchange. So you can get a great portfolio without coming here. Okay. All right. Now, by the way, just to finish the thought, if, if you don't mind, Rob, on that one too, what if I have a 401k or a Roth and those kinds of things? You can still have those as non-Americans. In fact, Americans that come or non-Americans that come here and they work for three, five, 10, 15 years, we encourage them to do their 401k and maybe even do a Roth too. Now, when they leave, they might want to cash those things out, but they're still subject to the early withdrawal penalties. So they can hold on to those accounts okay. until like 59 and a half and just take them out if they want to. Yeah. So are you familiar with the term, this IRS term covered expatriate? Since you, your clients don't don't give up their citizenship. You may never have had to have dealt with this. I'm not familiar with that term. Okay. Covered expa ex expat? Expatriate. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. Covered. Yeah. Um, you don't provide tax advice to you specifically, right? Am I correct about that? Um, 
people don't pay us for tax advice. Yeah. Do you do you have uh, folks we, that, that we talk with people about the tax implications of their decisions okay. for sure. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, we refer people to a tax outfit and we don't actually accept referral fees from them, but um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to, um, I think we've covered some, most of the questions that came in. I'm just going to go through the chat real quick. Do you have folks that have dual citizenship and how does that? Oh, affect? yes. Gosh. Yeah. All the time. How, how does that affect? It does it just depend where they're, um, they're a citizen? Well, it, it really has virtually no impact on them because here's what matters more than anything else. And once I learned this, my job got a lot easier and I got a lot more effect. I learned it actually quite quickly. Your taxes are for the most part throughout the entire world, for the most part, determined by the country that you live in. That's it. And so once you realize that you can say, well, I could have five citizenships, but if I'm living in Cambodia, well, I'm gonna, I'm a Cambodian taxpayer. Okay. Now the exceptions are the Americans, which is kind of your, your audience here. Canadians a little bit too. Aussies, maybe, you know, if they have properties, which every Aussie does anyway, they might have a little bit of it. But, but generally speaking, having multiple nationalities doesn't have any impact on this. Well, one one question in the chat, I don't know if you can address this or not. It said, would you recommend dual citizens to stay up to 183 days instead of full time outside of the U.S. to avoid EU taxes? Does that question even... So they they so let's just say they're Portuguese and American and um, would I recommend they stay out of the EU, um, stay out of Portugal and stay here instead? Um, I I couldn't give that answer. Um, it I suppose what somebody would have to be careful about is how the country that they're trying to avoid taxes paying. How, like, how is their, how are their taxes structured? Like, for example, and I've done a pod, couple podcasts about this. You know, we have clients that five, seven, eight million dollars. They're Americans, live here in the States. They retired 55. <clears throat> they're going to get their social security. I don't know, is it 70, 68, whenever. They don't get a pension. They're living off cash and maybe a brokerage account. They pay virtually nothing in taxes, right? I mean, they're just, if, they're in a very low income tax bracket. It's funny. I've told some of my non-American clients that situation. They're beside themselves. My God, how can somebody with that kind of money <coughs> pay virtually no taxes? I know you guys have taxes over there. How do they get away with that? It's just the way that <coughs> it happened. <coughs> Sorry. It's just the way that it happens to fall out. So back to this case of the, the EU uh, citizen or the if they have dual it, it might vary just depending upon how their assets are structured and yeah. how they would distribute their assets on whether or not they should avoid taxes in a certain country. Any issues, this comes from a listener named Aaron, any issues if you're going to get a federal pension and you move overseas? You no. just, you, you still get it and. Yeah, as long as it shows up in your bank account, you, yeah. you should be fine. And I don't know of any sort of like a, you know, does Sweden overtax U.S. pensions? Like, I'm not aware of anything like that. I hate, you know, they got a bunch of Americans moving here, so let's tax their pensions at 60%. Yeah. Like, I'm not aware of anything like that. Yeah. So. I think we've covered this question. It was, it was, would I lose access to Vanguard, Fidelity, et cetera, if I live overseas? And I guess that comes down to whether you 
tell them you've moved and yeah, don't have a U.S. address. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So if, if you called up Fidelity or Vanguard and said, I've moved to Germany and I no longer have a U.S. address and I've got $3 million in IRA and a taxable account with you, what would what would happen? Yeah, so I think what they do is they freeze your account for future uh, funding and also for, um, for um, uh, like trading, even though I think you can trade and cash out your account. Like your account's not, oh my gosh, I'll never take my money out here. It's, you're still gonna be able to take your money out. But you couldn't buy new investments. Could yeah. you reinvest? Could you reinvest dividends in an ETF or? Uh, you might be uh, able to. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. It might, like, they might have as a policy say that they're not going to do that. But in practice, like, their system may not catch that. But really, yeah. the, the intent, the, the thing to know is that you really aren't going to be able to fund it anymore. And you're really not going to be able to trade it anymore for the most part. Okay. I'm going to read you this question. Um, I know it's early in the morning. I hope you've had your coffee. I have no idea what this question means. You may not either. I mean, I can read the words. Sure. Here we go. If tax agreement with the U.S. in my country is 10%, should I invest in UCITS, Ireland domiciled ETF, or invest directly in the American version, like VOO versus VUSA? Does that question? I, I know what that question is. And that's, okay, that, good. Yeah. UCITS is a term that refers to all these ETFs that are domiciled in Ireland. Okay. So a huge number of Europe, UK-based ETFs are domiciled in Ireland for tax and uh, accounting reasons. I don't know really why, but anyways, now <clears throat> the question that the person is proposing, I guess, is should they buy the... Uh, the not like the VUSA is the S&P 500. Should they buy that one or should they buy the VOO? Well, the, the di like there's no difference <clears throat> in fees. Well, there's like four basis points, but there's really no difference in performance fees, structure, all that kind of stuff. So it just comes down to currency and taxation. If the person's not an American, I would buy the VUSA. If they're an American, I would buy the VOO. Okay. Unless you know, they're that American in Europe and they can't figure out a way to do it. So I don't really know what their nationality is, but yeah. my, my suspicion is that sounds to me like that might be a, a non-American asking that question and buying the VUSA is fine. Rob, one of the questions we get, like like a lot of our non-American clients are very partial to US things. Uh, it's, gotta, it's gotta be better than like the rest of the stuff. And so we have to tell them, you know, it's okay to buy an ETF that is, traded in the London exchange and it's in Ireland. That's a perfectly legit investment. Okay. Uh, that's a tax question. I'll, I'll read it. They're not an American. They have an apartment in Mexico that they're going to sell and they want to send the money to the U.S. Do I have to pay taxes to the IRS for the capital gains? No, right? Yeah, they're not an American. They're going to sell. Yeah. Here's another one. Let, let, this might be a preemptive answer. People okay. ask me all the time, hey, you know, I'm going to send money to my bank in Canada or I'm going to send money back home to the U.S. or to Mexico. Is that going to trigger a tax event? I guess with the exception of maybe Holland, um, where they tax wealth, that's not a taxable event. Simply moving money from one country to another in the form of cash is just almost all the time that doesn't create taxes. 
Okay. Now that that situation with Mexico, I don't know. I mean, if the person is like a Colombian, Colombia, they might have a tax on a capital gain that that person had, even though they owned the property somewhere else in the world. Or if they live in Mexico, it could be a tax there. Sure. Right. Okay. All right. Let's see if we have any last minute questions. While I'm looking, and I'm going to put links below this video when we're done to your website, and you mentioned your podcast. So tell folks, like, if they want to reach out to you, how they should do it, and, and maybe tell us, you know, about your yeah. podcast. If they just want to listen that. to the podcast, we do have our own web page. It's planvisionpodcast.com. And I do, I don't know how many I do, but the kind of what we try to do is we do these really short podcasts or five minutes in length. But you can go listen to that one, and it streams on, I think, most of the the different services that... And what's the name of the... Is it just PlanVision or... PlanVisionPodcast.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you want to learn more about what we do, I would just go to our website, PlanVisionMN.com. PlanVisionMN.com. That's... Now, am I correct... So for a lot of your clients, you do not manage their investments. You provide sort of a fixed rate. It's a, it's a subscription basis, right? There's a monthly. Yeah. So the way it works is the upfront cost for the first year is $239. And then it renews after one year at $8 a month and you can cancel anytime. Um, so it was, listeners would be shocked by that, by the way, they would say, well, how do you, how do you survive? How do you charge that and have a, a, a viable business? Well, it just turns out that it works, I guess. <laughs> the numbers are good. You know, the, the I mentioned at the end of the premise of our business is keep things simple. And um, a part of that, you, you asked me about managing money. <clears throat> Look, I don't think money needs to be managed. Um, now, we do help our clients. If they want to rebalance their portfolio, they can have a session with us and we can help them do that. But... <clears throat> You know, I came to believe after like being in the industry for so long and becoming more convinced of the value of index investing, that money doesn't really need to be managed for many people. And so if you kind of remove that from the discussion, other than maybe periodic confirmations that you're doing this right thing, or maybe getting a little more conservative based upon an event that happens in your life, like one-off like guidance situations, that, um, that that just doesn't take that much time, Rob, to do that stuff. Yeah. And then I also, as I broke out on my own and started using financial planning software, reached the same conclusion when it comes to financial planning, that to actually do a bona fide financial plan, it just doesn't take that much time. Yeah. And so with the technology that we, <clears throat> we have where people can now, now have more control over these kinds, kinds of things. Um, that's the way we do it is we send our clients a link, they upload their information. They do a lot of the work for us using our videos and so on that we can make the money. We can make the plan. We can make the model work financially at that, that level. Yeah. Um, you still use eMoney advisor, right? Yes. We're still using eMoney. I'm pretty happy with it. I don't know where the um, industry is going to go from new products. I just got an email from a client a few days ago where, he knows this guy he wants to introduce to me where they're rolling out some sort of a, a system. <clears throat> and I think it's going to be more attractive to younger people where it's almost like an online coaching and investing platform, which might be kind of similar to what we're doing. 
um, with maybe a little bit of advisor backup. So in 20, 30, 40 years, are you going to be, how much would you be interacting with an advisor as opposed to just kind of controlling yeah. the process yourself with a program? Who knows? Maybe in, in seven or eight years, the money will be bypassed by a, a newer, better version um, that integrates yeah. this stuff really well. Yeah, but we still use it and I like it and it's a good planning program. Is um did I you know you and I we exchange emails from time to time. Do I recall correctly that you're looking at tools to help folks re, do the rebalancing side of things, or am I just misremembering? We had an exchange on that. That is a feature in eMoney that we're okay. not we're not using yet. Okay. Yeah, we we actually have some changes coming. We're going to roll out a new, whole new client website in the next two three months, which we're delighted about. Um, and so we think that'll expand our ability to provide using those kinds of resources. You know, we're a small shop, we're a growing business, still trying to figure out exactly how we want to provide service to the marketplace. Okay. Um, do you, am I correct though, that you do manage on an assets under management basis investments for people that really want you to, or is that not, not the case? I think it just depends upon the word manage. I, I would never say that we manage anybody's money. Okay. I, I would say that we help people set up portfolios that are really simple and make sense for their situation. And, <laughs> and we can tell them what to do with their money whenever they want. So, so they, do the, they do the trades themselves. Uh, yeah, for the most part. We do, however, we do have clients that set up meetings with us to do the trades. Like and the accounts, with the exception of IB, None of our clients' accounts are linked to Plan Vision, which is very common in the industry. Your advisor, your account is linked to them. Yeah. Um, it's not linked with us. We'll do screen shares with our clients, and we'll help them rebalance their portfolio. Oh, interesting. So you tell them, okay, in that yes. box, yes. put 73 shares, market order. Yes. Seriously, you get to that level of granularity? And oh, yes. Hit, yeah. hit, the, hit the order preview button. No, no, not that button. Oh, my goodness. You just cashed out your role. <laughs> well, by the way, I'm making fun, but every time I do a trade, I'm like jittery. Like yeah, something's well, going to go wrong. <laughs> as you can imagine, Rob, we have a wide spectrum of clients. And if I were to ask some of my clients, hey, do you need help making a trade? They might be offended by, like, kidding me? Like, I can do this stuff, no problem. <clears throat> and uh, some other guys say, like, I can't spell the word trade. So, yeah, you're going to have to help me out with this stuff. So very broad range. <clears throat> again, we don't manage money. And again, I don't think it needs to be managed with the very, like even with robos or the all-in-one funds or even a nice three-fund portfolio. Um, <clears throat> I would say that, <clears throat> again, sorry. I would say that an area that many people need help with um, that we that we do provide maybe some specific instructions is where to take money out of like where to, yeah. like, is retirees where do I distribute my now they can log in and do it but we'll tell them where they should be withdrawing their money it's like a distribution uh, recommendation yeah, yeah. And, then, and by the way an IB with interactive brokers and it does and it's with Saxo Swissquote these other international brokers we use with our clients normally we do have a a buying session with them where we show them how to use the platform we record the session. And they have a copy of it. So, is interactive brokers? I've never used it. They actually, I actually had a discussion with them. They reached out to me, um, and I opened an account. Doesn't have any money in yeah. it. Just, just a login to check out the platform. But um, do they have tools that make? You know, one of the things that frustrates me, you know, if you think of like of an M one finance, mm -hmm. you can hit a button and it rebalances for you. 
Yes. Right. Now that would be probably more useful in a retirement account. I probably wouldn't do that in a taxable account. But why? Why don't? Why doesn't Fidelity or you know, it seems like it's not that hard to do? But they don't offer sort of simple rebalancing tools. Does IB offer any tools that make rebalancing a little easier, or, or not really? No. Um, IB. <laughs> well, they do have some tools somewhere that has an asset allocation model for advisors. The IB's client is a trader. Like they want people to sit there and blow through 500 trades a day. That's really their client. So they've got the trader workstation, which is like a cockpit and it's got all these various different complicated looking things. Their client portal is actually kind of, it's, it's okay. And it just, the reason why we recommend it is like the only game in town um, for many years. Yeah, yeah, for expats. Schwab, actually Schwab will work in some countries, even though Schwab is more difficult to open. So I shouldn't overlook that completely. Schwab, you have to have a minimum of 25,000. Normally Schwab will only accept a utility bill. And a lot of these people struggle to get address verification in the country that they live in. But anyways, IB is not going to invest much money in a rebalancing thing. They're going to invest money in what the traders want. Yeah, because that's where the money is. Yeah, for, for them, them. their model. Yeah. So, and the benefit for our clients is that because of the way IB does its business, they can kind of piggyback on those low trading costs, you know, yes. a dollar yeah. trade or maybe $4 if it's on different exchange, something like that. Any issues if an expat, you know, is living in this question, they, they happen to live in Japan, but if you inherit a 401k or an IRA, or does it just work pretty much the same way as if you lived in the U.S.? <laughs> Um, IB will accept inherited IRAs, but some of the individual entities won't. Like Singapore, IB will not open up IRAs, I think, anymore for Americans. I, it might be the case that if you want to use IB and you live in Japan and you have an inherited IRA, they're not going to support that. Interesting. Now, yeah. all of those problems go away if you still have a U.S. address, right? Yeah, you can do the U.S. Yeah. thing. Yeah, Okay. However, if you're one of these people that was using, you know, you were using your Schwab or IB account and you liked it and it worked for you, you just go, oh, man, this is a drag. Now I got to go do this U.S. account thing. So it might be disappointing to somebody, but if you can if you can still do an inherited IRA, funny, I don't know, it's not a funny story, actually. One of my clients inherited an IRA, big one, really big inheritance, right? Lives in Japan. And I think it was Schwab. He called Schwab because he wanted to open up a big, he needed to open up an inherited IRA. <clears throat> and they said, if you come into our office in California, now he, he listened to right? And so, and this is one that like, I, I think we were still coming out of the lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. So anyways, um, I, I just warned Jeff, look, I know sometimes you get these customer service people on the phone, they say that they're going to do this. And then you show up and the manager's like, what are you out of your mind? We don't do those kinds of things. That's kind of what happened. He came to California and he couldn't get it open. He couldn't get the inherited IRA open. The guy on the phone was just wrong or something like that. Now he had family here and he turned into a visit. And he's a, he's a delightful guy. And he ro seemingly rolls with everything. But, you know, that was okay. quite an event. Well, that's funny. Well, not funny for him, I guess. But yes. um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate your time, particularly you just getting over COVID. Um do you still give clients access to eMoney Advisor? I, oh, yeah. Because um, yeah. I have access to it. Yeah. Now, um, um, we do get these inquiries every once in a while. 
from people that want to do it themselves. And man, wouldn't I love that business model? Just pay us money and here, go use it, right? Um, but I do warn them that it's not, e-money is not designed just for the end consumer to use. The client is the advisor. And yeah. we kind of drive their business model. And we're unusual. Most advisors like to keep some things behind the, the curtain with, you know, with their clients. So the clients have to reach out to them and do stuff, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, um, you know, we have a, you know, so what I tell people is, yeah, we can give you the, we can give you the the LinkedIn money and all the instructions to load, but at some point you're going to have to interact with us. I think to get any meaningful value. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as far as us providing interpretation of the numbers, um, and also you can't go nuts modeling on the client side. We do the more sophisticated modeling. Right. So. Yeah, that's an important thing to point out is that you do get access to eMoney Advisor, but you don't have full control. Uh, uh, yeah. of it. And you and know, I've had conversations about, about that and needing to change some assumptions. Yeah. And so. It, it, so I think if you're looking for advice, you, Mark is great, but if you only want a tool, first of all, you can get full view from Fidelity, which is powered by eMoney Advisor. And that's, I think you can get that whether you have a Fidelity account or not, I think. And, um, it, but for consumers, I think new retirement is excellent. Like if all you're wanting is a tool, um, new retirement is probably the best one um, that's mm -hmm. specifically aimed at the, in, the end consumer. As you point out, eMoney Advisor, their clients are not they're, not, they're not me, they're you, they're, they're yeah. the advisors. Yeah. So. All right, Mark. Well, anything else we should cover or have we just, have we covered everything? Um, I, I suppose what I would say about the world of expats, and I did mention to this to you, I think in some of our email exchange prior to the session was that once you understand some fundamental components, like the expenses, how you're going to bank and where to keep your investments, um, it's not really that complicated, you know. And, man, there are a lot of good forums and user groups out. There are groups that um, you can share and learn from. And then I guess I would um, have a good tax person as well that, yeah. you know, they're going to charge you 300 bucks or whatever, 450 depending on 500 depending upon complexity. But, um, you know, they can be a good resource. Great. All right. Like I said, I'll leave links to your site and your podcast below. Um, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Hope you start, you know, you're, I guess you're on the mend, but I hope. Oh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Just other than that. Yeah. Good. All right. Appreciate Bye, that. Enjoy so the much. session. Nice to catch up with you, Rob. Take, take care. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, gang. Big thank you to Mark. Um, I hope we got most of the questions. I'm sure I've left some out, but uh, uh, I think we covered the vast majority of them. Obviously, if you want to reach out to Mark, I'll, you can. Um, uh, I'll leave links below the video. And uh, there you go. Uh, have a great rest of your week. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom. Thank you for listening to the Plan Vision Podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on the topics covered. 